This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning into UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. Inflation pressures are not only high, they have considerably broadened over the last few months. As demand-side pressures have increased, however, supply bottlenecks are now beginning to ease. So underneath the surface, there is some cooling. How do these two forces net out? To help us understand this, we're joined today with Aaron Captain, head of UBS Economics and Strategy. Welcome. So Aaron, inflation has been frustratingly persistent both in the US and also in Europe and some other places as well. Could we start by recapping what the main drivers of this inflation are? Yeah, so, so we're still in the perfect storm phase, I think, right? So we have three simultaneous things going on, which is historically very rare. So we have commodity price pressure, so we're still getting the lagged effect of that effectively coming through. Now, oil's come down, but you're still uh, seeing some of that come through. Food prices are still elevated. That's one part. Um, then you have a lot of pent-up demand for services right now, right? So intuitively, things like airfares, travel, going through the roof, and in level terms, well above where it was pre-pandemic now. And then you still have shortages in goods. So you know, we're still seeing, you know, even in a goods sector, which historically contributed nothing to inflation, still seems to be lots of pricing power. So I think all three are, are contributing. And I think the other thing that's happened is firms have found they had pricing power because the market wasn't clearing. That is creating, I think, a degree of persistence or inertia in price setting that basically you know, keeps this momentum going for a little bit. So un- until you start to see these firms lose market share, it's really difficult to sort of see the, the disinflation that we're, that we're hoping for. Right. You have said, and I think the Fed also believed this for a very long time, that a good component of this inflation, a good chunk of this higher inflation, has been supply bottlenecks. What's the story there? Yeah, so that's the remarkable thing, I think, in the data right now. So, so Looking at the incoming inflation data looks horrible, right? I just see very little um, improvement in anything I look at. Looking at the bottlenecks, seeing incredible improvement, right? So we've had two consecutive months now of uh, our bottleneck tracker getting better. It's across almost every single component, right? There are 20 components in there. Um, just in June, we had about an 0.75 standard deviation improvement. So where that brings you to in level terms is you're less than two standard deviations away from normal but you were at four and a half standard deviations away from normal back in, uh, in October. So there's incredible improvement there, and you're seeing it in things like delivery times, um, you know, backlog, shipping, and the intuition is, is sort of very obvious. So, so we're in the midst of a big global slowdown. You know, we're coming out of a phase where demand and supply were miles apart, but demand is collapsing, and so that gap is closing, and suddenly those shortages are, are disappearing. And, and that, I think, is what those trackers are, are capturing. Right. So you said you've gone from above four standard deviations to just below two standard deviations at 1.8. That's still a large number, 1.8 standard yeah, deviations. it so is still a large number, and, and obviously a bit worrying because we really needed to go to zero before we can be optimistic about uh, disinflation. And, and so I think a lot of the residual disruption revolves around China. And so um, if you think about, so it's, it, on the one hand, you know, the restrictions have largely gone, right, for most countries. We're vaccinated, we're switching back to consuming services. Feels very normal. What is not at all normal is sort of the global trade imbalance, right? So in the pandemic, um, there was just a, a massive, a 20 percentage point jump in the volume that we produced um, of goods produced in Asia 
relative to what they consume from us. When I say us, I mean Europe and the, and the US. Uh, we've now reversed about half of that, but it's still a very large gap. And so what that's doing is it's perpetuating the container recycling problem and keeping shipping costs elevated. And, and a large part of that's China. So while we are buying less and less, so demand is slowing, orders are collapsing, their demand has actually also fallen, and actually it's fallen at a slightly greater speed. And so, um, so that's sort of one set of issues. And then sort of you know, related to that, if you think about things like, uh, like air freight, right? So you know, half of the uh, pre-pandemic capacity for cargo sat in passenger planes, right? And so then in the pandemic, when people stopped traveling, you lost a lot of that capacity. Now we're traveling again, so the capacity is coming back, except not on the routes where it matters, right? So if you, if you look at Asia, their connectivity with the rest of the world is at 29% of pre-pandemic levels. Right? China's a big part of that. And China's a big part of that, and, and very intuitively, like there's very few flights between China and Europe and China and the US. And so you're not getting the air freight capacity on the routes where you need it. Domestic US, sure, but that's not where you need it. Right. You spoke earlier about orders coming down in a big way, and that's improving delivery times and so on. But many people are also afraid that as orders come down, you're going to see a sort of a glut of inventories. So what are supply bottlenecks or easing of supply bottlenecks for standard deviations to 1.8? What's that doing to inventories? Inventories are currently increasing at the fastest pace in 20 years globally, right? So we are in the 100th percentile in the speed of inventory accumulation. Now, the problem is that's a flow, right? So the stock, we had a, you know, a very drawn out period in the pandemic of drawing down these, these inventories, the stocks. We've only just started to reverse that. So we're still a full standard deviation globally below the pre-pandemic sort of long run average, right? And so we need to keep this up, I think, to keep replenishing those. That's based on national accounts data? That's, that's both PMIs and national accounts. So it doesn't really matter which one you look at. Um, for the US, it does. So the US, the data is quite messy. So it's a bit dependent on which indicator you, you choose. But globally, they actually line up quite nicely. Um, and then, you know, and then there's nice sort of, those are the aggregates, right? And then you try to find the, I think the micro stories to sort of confirm that. And as, as you know, one of the most important ones, and actually is a piece that came out just a few days ago from our uh, colleagues on the, on the semiconductor side. Um, so I have a, a, basically a tracker of one of the largest IT distributors. For basically the last 18 months, all you saw was the semiconductor shortage, the inventory is just going lower and lower and lower, right? It just did not improve. That has basically been the biggest inflation generator in goods prices. So when you think about the chip shortages, the inability to produce cars, that's all related to that. Then you get to June, and basically this thing just goes up like a straight line, right? So um, if you take the aggregate of all the, the, the semiconductors that we track in that tracker, then we've gone from uh, basically, I think, 24% below early 2021 levels to now suddenly being above, right? And, now that's the average in, in the important ones like microcontrollers, et cetera, you're, you've gone from minus 84 to minus 50. You still have a shortage, but there's improvement. And, and you know, it, it, that then actually matches with things like US auto production. So the US auto producers are suddenly getting chips again. And in the second quarter, their production levels have increased by 2 million annualized units, right? So suddenly you're back at pre-pandemic levels. And so these shortages are gonna now start to go away. Right, but they're reports from uh, retailers in the U.S. saying that their inventory levels have increased a lot. Uh, how do we think about that? Is, can we generalize that? Uh, well, so that's, that's uh, on one level, that's sort of, uh, those, those uh, earnings reports are really interesting, and, and I think they confirm the intuition in that ultimately we're going to switch back, and so we don't want to buy more garden furniture and, and things like that, right? And so, okay, suddenly we have too much of all these things. 
Um, but oddly, you do not see that in the aggregate data. So when you look at um, the aggregate level of good spending versus service spending, we still have in the U.S. about a nine percentage point gap relative to the, the trend line, right? So we still have big gaps, and globally, we still have really big gaps. So it doesn't match the aggregate data. Um, and the other thing, for the U.S., you, you actually have nice um, sort of sectoral data. It looks like those merchandise retailers are the exception, right? So when you look at... Um, auto inventories or overall retail, you're still below the, the pre-pandemic levels. Especially in shipments to inventories. I mean, if you start normalizing. Especially if you scale by demand, then even though demand is slowing, you're, then it actually looks, uh, looks even worse. Right, so let's then do the difficult thing of landing the plane on what all this means, right? So where does inflation, I think everybody would agree that we are close to peak inflation uh, in the developed world. Maybe Europe is gonna be a little bit delayed, maybe even pushed back from September, but people don't expect inflation to persist at eight to 10%. Where do we land on inflation over the next two, three years? Globally, you're going to go from something at the end of this year of a bit under eight to something that's a bit under three by the end of next year, right? So that is a you know, 500 basis point slowdown. It's a big slowdown. Um, if you take the U.S., let's take headline CPI, right? So we're over 9% now. By the end of the year, we'll still be over six. By mid-year, I think we're you know, close to one and a half, right? And then by the end of the year, we're back above two, so probably 2.1 or so. So... The reason you have that dip is because there's some temporary things like, you know, we're, 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 the way we forecast it, we have the backwardated commodity curves that gives you a period of disinflation and then it sort of bounces back up. Like you, 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 you cease to have that effect. But the, the basic point is the landing zone is basic at these targets. You're not landing miles above these targets. There's no sort of persistence um, in the inflation that we're currently seeing that we think is going to be there 18 months out. Okay, Aaron, let me try and summarize these views then. Um, it's a plethora of reasons driving inflation. So there's lagged commodity price pressures, there's pent up demand in services. There's also some inertia in goods demand uh, in terms of pricing power, that pricing power has increased. So that's leading to some inertia in, in inflation. Are we seeing an improvement in supply bottle, uh, bottlenecks? Absolutely. Uh, your tracker was above four standard deviations. It is now at 1.8 standard deviations, still a high number, but a considerable improvement. Why are we still two standard deviations above normal? China is a very large part of that, not necessarily because trucks are not moving in China, but because a lack of demand in China implies that you're not getting the rotation of air, uh, uh, aircraft and also ships, and that's keeping these prices elevated. It is showing up in inventory data in that inventories are rising as a matter of flow, but as a matter of stock, uh, you're still below long-term averages. Some sector, like retail, you're seeing some pressures of inventories building up, but that's not broad across all sectors and certainly not broad when you scale it for demand. Where does inflation land? Well, you're saying it lands roughly in line with where the market says it lands. The path to it could be different in that we go down first and then come straight back up. But the landing point is about 2 to 0.5% on CPI, which is what the markets are pricing in, which is quite important for equity markets because that does then justify the kind of multiples we have today because otherwise we would have to derate much more if inflation was higher. So, Aaron, thanks very much for your time, and thank you for yours. This content has been prepared by UBSAG, its subsidiaries, and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation, nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content and has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regulatory, 
regulatory or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2022. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.